Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shareholders aren't against sharing of the wealth. Sometimes people get many millions of dollars that just don't seem to be appropriate. For some companies, they have had to let people go and the executives have taken cuts because they don't feel it's appropriate for them to do really well when the people who are just as important as they are really aren't doing as well. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Each year from October to December is what is known as the AGM season. It's when most ASX-listed companies hold their annual general meeting. An AGM is a yearly gathering of shareholders where company directors present the annual report about the company's performance and strategy. They put forward matters that require shareholder support, requiring a vote. Joining me today is Fiona Balzer, the Policy and Advocacy Manager at the Australian Shareholders Association. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Phil. So, Fiona, you've worked on many AGMs. Many, many AGMs. I know. Do you know how many? You can have you counted. Um, yes. Yeah. We we've had about three hundred this year, and a couple of hundred of those were in October and November. And how many years have you been doing this oh, for? And I've been doing this for about three years. Tell us about your role and the company monitors work at the ASA. Okay, so I'm responsible for policy and advocacy for shareholders. Australian Shareholders Association looks after retail shareholders' interests. Big investors can look after themselves, but retail shareholders, which are your mums and dads and everybody else who's got small holdings, they don't have anyone to stand up for them. And what we do is make sure that the laws take into account their needs, their special needs, because they won't be able to catch up with directors themselves in social gatherings and we also help educate them so that people know what they need to know when they go into the share market 
so they can build their wealth. So it's mainly volunteers in the association that do the the dirty work of um, monitoring the companies. Yeah, so the association has a small paid staff who do administration and then my I manage about 120 volunteers who are drawn from the membership base. And our volunteers, the most important thing is they're authentic uh, retail shareholders and they've been investing for, you know, some of them for five years, some of them for 50 years. And they've learned how to navigate the market and stand up for themselves, and they're happy to stand up for others. And they, and they can look at a report, can't they? And they, they can pull apart a report and everything that's involved and that's going they, to be presented at an AGM. Yeah, they, they go through the different annual reports. They have a meeting with the directors before the actual AGM because it's very, you know, various matters need investigating and raising in more detail than an AGM offers you. And we also give them training. And they also lead each other in training and learning about various matters. So this year we did a couple of webinars on the remuneration report because that's quite technical area. And it really does help to have some guidance as to how you're going to read that report and get all the details you need from it. So you're dealing with company directors here. And, uh, yes, yep. What's that like for some of the monitors being able to have access to the directors and actually talking to them like... I you know, an analyst at the big end of town would do. <laughs> well, actually, quite often the analyst at the big end of town is talking, and when there's no problems, they're talking to the executives. They're talking about how to run the company. It's the board of directors who are really important to retail shareholders, so they look out for them in matters such as uh, capital raisings. You know, make sure that when the big end of town says, let's do a capital raising and give all the shares to the institutional investors, the board says, no, we've got to be fair. What about our retail shareholders? Retail shareholders tend to hold companies for longer, you know, 11 years or so, yeah. um, and they tend to be happy to put put money up. So we need the directors to take that into account when they're raising capital. Uh, we need them to take how they communicate into account when they're writing jargon-esque reports, even though, you know, for institutional investors too, uh, it does help if the company actually knows what it's talking about, so it doesn't resort to jargon to kind of you know mislead people or smooth things over that shouldn't be smoothed over. But our particular people speak with the directors and put to them what our concerns are or what retail shareholders' concerns are, because otherwise the board is just getting that from the executive who perhaps hasn't talked yeah, to yeah. many retail shareholders either, depending so on the size of the company, of course. So is, is that um, really a way of reminding them to keep in mind the smaller shareholders? Yes, very very much so. Uh, it, it is a reminder that there are small shareholders, there are people who aren't sophisticated, who perhaps have bought your company trying to build you know, better life over 30, 40 years. They're not, it's not fast money that can just switch to somewhere else. So yeah, make it front of mind for the directors and the AGM is very much a retail shareholder forum because the institutional investors can come across directors and executives in other areas. So it's really the forum for retail shareholders. And one of the other reasons is that institutional investors typically have to vote remotely, like electronically, just to get everything all in line for all their clients because they've got so many clients. So they are more likely to do their engagement and they're voting remotely than attend the AGM. A lot of 
younger shareholders, newer shareholders, they're, they're just thinking about the company as a ticker code. They mm-hmm. see the ticker code and they see what information's about about it. You know, some people are pumping them on Twitter and on social media. But I think a lot of people aren't seeing that there's a company behind this. Mm-hmm. How is the AGM important in showing the company and what the company is doing? It's one of the important governance factors. So that's like really making sure the companies do the right thing. The companies have to seek approval for various resolutions like electing directors. Uh, They also have to seek approval to issue more capital than 15% of their shares at the beginning of the year. They also have you know the remuneration report which we'll we'll come to later we'll come to but there are various matters that they have to get shareholder approval and there are also meetings other than the agms where there might be say a scheme of arrangement and this is where you really find out how important your directors are and my most recent example is there was a chairwoman named Tracy Horton who chaired Navitas and major shareholders wanted the company to be taken over at a certain price. The board got together and when they're thinking about everybody who owns the company, it seemed like some people benefited more from that plan than the regular shareholders. So basically, she and the independent members of the board held out and the price of that takeover went up and when she was being elected she actually just scraped in because of these major shareholders being unhappy with her holding a higher standard for the board she scraped in with 51 percent approval because you have to get for directors over 50 percent so what was the issue that some of the institutional investors weren't happy about well with that one the major shareholders felt that in the new scheme they would benefit more from what the business became, but the regular mum and dad shareholders would just be paid cash mm-hmm. and be exiting the business and at a certain price. You know, At the end, everybody got to exit at a more fair price. So the issue was sometimes the company can have ongoing involvement. You know, you're not really supposed to vote on things where you do get a benefit, but you might have shares in another company or another area which will benefit from this company moving on. Or you might have different return criteria. Like a conflict of interest? It could be a conflict of interest, but it could be just that you've purchased the shares at $2 six weeks ago, and so $2.50 in the short period of time is brilliant. You don't want to hang around for you know $2.80, for mm. example. Um That's actually one of the things about thinking about the companies rather than just as a ticker code, as an ongoing company. There's staff, there's customers, there's a business. There's a culture as well. There's a culture. Many companies have a purpose too. You know, they're designed to to reach a certain level. So we saw going in through COVID, Woolworths and Coles move much more quickly on their home delivery than they would have had life just gone as, on as it was because they wouldn't want to test and fail um, various delivery mechanisms, whereas they realised their role was to get food to people, especially to the vulnerable, so they set in those priority delivery times and the like. That's what companies are like. There's a whole lot behind the ticker code. 
And if you're in and out, yes, you can just look at the ticket code. I personally aren't a fan of momentum investing, but hey, you can just buy something that's 0.1 cent and make sure you've not done anything stupid. And if it goes to 0.2, you've made 100%. Mm-hmm. And if you've goes broke you haven't lost that much but if you look at it more as a ongoing business which serves a purpose in our community you can build wealth more easily i think over say 10 20 30 years if you look at what we need what's done well what could be done better you know companies that are exposed to healthcare are going to have an increasing demand whereas people get older for longer I'll stay old for longer. Um, and <laughs> uh, you know, will be, <laughs> <laughs> whatever the term is. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, tech companies filling yep. a particular niche. But you can sort of look at how the world works and think about what your company does and how it operates. And um, that can be important too with the companies because if you're proposing a resolution, it has to be something that the company can do because if you have – signatures for 5% of um, the shareholders or 100 shareholders, you can put a resolution on for the company to consider at its meeting. And uh, So what are those numbers again that are required? Uh, either 5% ownership or 100 shareholders at this time. They have to be 100. Like 100 shareholders, even if they've only got 10 shares or something yes. each. Yeah. yeah, 100 active shareholders. Yeah. And you might see with the shareholder resolutions quite often – um, when the activists actually put a resolution onto a, a notice of meeting, the company will say shareholders representing 0.1% of shares. Mm-hmm. Well, the 100-member rule says that if 100 shareholders sign, and they have to be active at the time that they check the register, but if they sign, then that resolution, as long as it's an appropriate matter for the meeting, has to be put forward for people to vote on. And, of course, if it's a well-thought-out resolution, it may well get up, as in pass. At least it gets a hearing and other people might go, hey, this is a good idea. Yes, or people get an opportunity to debate it, which is actually quite an important issue for the activists is to actually make companies think about what they're concerned about, Mm. so climate change and the impact and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people talk about the alignment of the interests of management, the interests of the directors and the interests of shareholders. And this is a forum where this can take place, isn't it? This is where you can see all the different interests. So people can have different intentions when they purchase. And obviously a company can't be run by figuring out what each of the hundreds of thousands of shareholders want from the Mm. company. That's why they really have to put out what their purpose is, what their strategy is so that people (laughs) self-select so that they're in agreement. Yep, yep. So this year, what were some of the matters that were voted on? What were some of the big things this year that were voted on? This year, we actually saw quite a few capital raisings. So we had capital raisings, the ability to raise more capital being voted on. Because obviously that was needed this year. There was a lot of companies doing it tough with... uh... Yeah, yes. And the real difficulty for companies was in the beginning of the pandemic, people didn't know what would happen. And so they really wanted to make sure they had enough capital no matter what happened. So this capital just allows them to keep operating? Allows them to keep operating. It means that if they have opportunities, some of them have actually made acquisitions, taken advantage of other people's difficulties and bought up things. It also, because 
usually a lot of companies have cash flow coming through the door. So you're like your flight center, for example, would normally have an awful lot of cash just through servicing its customers. Mm. And the banks are happy with that and they feel comfortable that they can be repaid. They might have what's called covenants where if you get too much debt, um, the banks might not lend you more money. So by making sure that they all had enough effectively cash at the beginning of the pandemic, they felt that they were able to deal with whatever came their way. And for many of them, like the airlines and the travel-related companies have had it really tough um, and it's still tough. But for others, they've actually done a lot better than we would have thought going through. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So what's a remuneration report? Why is that so important? <laughs> so a remuneration report is required by the Corporations Act and the companies have to outline how they pay their people. And this is upper management that there's the, been paid yeah. and directors oh, well, and... It usually does filter down to to the theory of paying everyone, but it is um, the executives quite often used to walk away with an awful lot of money and it was felt that the shareholders provided them capital and they just lived the high life. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was, a, yeah, there's a conflict between the directors and the executives working hard together and just handing over money and not ask. It was felt that they didn't ask how much is too much. Whereas with the remuneration report, we really seen a development of how the companies are making sure they're not paying too much money, but they are actually structuring the remuneration so that it is good for the company. We saw in the Royal Commission into financial services misbehaviour, which took place in 2019, Commissioner Hain said you could just see that the way the remuneration was structured was making people behave poorly. You know, they were incentivized to sell. They didn't necessarily sell or charge people for these services. Are, these are financial services products, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. financial services products Yeah, um, that they were perhaps selling them to the wrong people. They were vulnerable people that just getting the sale wasn't the important thing. It's selling it to the right person. Mm. And that culture in your structure, a good remuneration structure, will actually have, um, if COVID hits, the bonuses go and all of a sudden the company is saving money because it hasn't hit the hurdles. That's that's a good way for it to work. When the company goes through difficult times, the executives don't do as well financially. Whereas which you'd it, hope would be the case. <laughs> which, which you would hope, but because they're an artificial structure, it, it does become really mm. hard to make it work that way. And then we also have the directors coming back saying, but these people will quit if we don't pay them market rates. Yeah. You know, they're internationally competitive. We need to be able to pay them market rates. So the whole negotiation of remuneration is quite complex and it's 
made more open for shareholders to see how the directors are achieving the pay, what they're aiming to do by having a remuneration report, which is put in each annual report and outlines, you know, how much potential short-term incentive there is. Quite often it's like the same amount as the fixed remuneration. The long-term incentive quite often, again, is the same number as the fixed remuneration. So, you know, their regular pay might be $800,000, but if everything goes to plan, they're going to get $2.4 million. Having some reasons behind that, we just no longer is anyone comfortable just trusting the board that they'll do the right thing and make the right deductions. They want to know that the board is mindful about how much is too much, what the impact on culture is, if the shareholders are doing it tough by missing out on dividends and the like, why should the executives not share that pain? A lot of talk about sharing the pain, that management and directors have been sharing the pain financially with the company that's been underperforming because of the COVID situation. Yeah, we, we saw an interesting range of behaviours with regards to remuneration reports. We had some companies whose structure of their system meant that as the share price fell and their revenue fell and the customer numbers fell, all bonuses were set to zero automatically without the company having to think about it. And we even had people complaining about some companies not changing it. And we just looked at their scheme and they're like, well, they don't have to make an announcement because that's how the system works. So we had that type of behavior. We had other companies where they're like, everybody's suffering. There's no dividends. And executives went on unpaid leave. They reduced, you know, they agreed to reduce bonuses. Directors agreed to a 20 or 30% fall in their director fees uh, for either for a period and for companies in difficulty. Sometimes that continues for a longer time. So we saw a lot of sharing the pain. And then we saw a few cloth ears where, or lead ears where people felt that had it not been for COVID, they would have met the hurdles and they actually used board discretion to increase what was would have been paid otherwise. And that was often punished by the, the shareholders voting against the remuneration report and various companies ended up with strikes for that reason. And a lot of the companies that we discussed seem to take a great deal of effort in supporting their staff as well. I'm thinking of SGR as one example. Was that a good uh, example? Star Entertainment. Yeah. Star ended up with a strike, but that was more because of the discretionary um, element used for the higher executives. They were expecting Crown to open a facility across the, the water from them, and they were concerned that if they cut certain executives' pays that they would be prime candidates to move to the competition. And yet, well, as events turned out, it's probably not going to be that easy for Crown to open. But it was felt that everybody else was wearing a lot of pain and it wasn't appropriate to do that. Sometimes we feel when we're looking at how boards are dealing with remuneration that they're a little bit too attached to a certain staff member. I know these people are great and we're having them work for the competition's not a good thing, but typically they don't walk away as quickly as the company seem to suggest. <laughs> as they'd be worried about. But yes. um, in the case of JB Hi-Fi, they actually rewarded 
their staff members because during COVID they um, went above and beyond in terms of cleaning the stores and going to into stores earlier and they were duly rewarded by management as well. Typically shareholders aren't against that sort of sharing sharing of the wealth. It's more that as we saw with the Financial Services Royal Commission, sometimes people get many millions of dollars that just don't seem to be appropriate where they actually have more control over strategy and how the company's performing and the culture, whereas rewarding the existing staff or for some companies they have had to let people go and the executives have taken cuts because they don't feel it's appropriate for them to do really well when the people who are just as important as they are really aren't doing as well, who are, are suffering. Yeah, and as in the case of staff members, uh, you know, having to <laughs> deal with a, a lot of people on the ground, like in Woolworths and what the people in Woolworths and Coles had to deal with. Yeah, yeah, it, mm. it was quite tricky and they all, you know, that's real, really good example of a company knowing what its purpose is and getting all the people involved in what needs to be done. And, yeah, like I say, I don't think shareholders begrudge the staff being rewarded adequately because they don't have much control and the rewards aren't going to be like an executive who misses out on two years rewards will probably make it up in the future just seems unfair for some people to go through unscathed (laughs) that's right yes share the pain Mm. so the remuneration report it can be voted against and if it happens twice, that's a really situ- serious situation. Tell us about how yeah. that works. Yeah, so the Corporations Act requirement says that you have a vote and once you've had one vote against, which is called a strike, so that's, that's the first, first strike. Yeah, first strike. So so if you have a, uh, once you've had a first strike, you have to put a resolution on the next meeting's agenda that says if we have another strike, we will have to hold a meeting and spill the board, which sounds much more exciting than it is, but it is no less... um, That's sacking the whole board, is it? That is sacking the whole board. So yes, spilling sounds exciting, but actually sacking the board has really big ramifications because quite often you'll see people who are just frustrated with the existing board and they want to vote against every director. But one problem, it becomes a little bit technical because a company has to have three directors. So if you spill the board, three of them are going to get back in. And the other thing is that if you do split boards, the people who leave go, well, we would have fixed it if you'd left us there. And the people who come go, it's their fault, Them, those people who left. So spilling the board is the type of thing when you, you only vote in favour of that if you don't think it can get any worse or... For this particular season, we've seen it with a group called Cromwell Property Group. If you want the directors to move on, that is the other reason why you do it. If you're having an argument that's not necessarily about what most shareholders think, but you specifically think about the existing directors, you can spill the board and that has to be held within three months of the the AGM. Yeah. And that one of the reasons you don't do it casually is because then the company has to think about what it's doing with its whole existence for that next three months, 90 days. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've noticed in a couple of cases where the association has voted against the remuneration report, but not for the spill. 
Yes. So what we do is we specify in our voting intentions report what we are against within the remuneration report. We would only vote for the directors to go if we felt that they're incapable of fixing it. As I've said, you know, the if the directors are only thinking about getting elected or who's going to run the company in the next 90 days, they're not going to change how they allocate awards so that they're done by a method that is, you know, doesn't end up with those windfall tens of millions of dollars of remuneration. They're going to worry about how the company is going to run, who is going to be there to do all the things that need to be done. Mm. So, but like, but we would vote against if we were so frustrated with the directors that we felt that actually that's a risk we're prepared to take. So what's a proxy? Proxies are when you go to a meeting these days, you can actually do what's called a direct vote. So you get your email and just say vote for or against, or you can nominate someone to vote for you. Back in the day when we had physical meetings, it might be that you know your cousin John was going to the meeting and you wanted them to ask a question, if the answer was one way or the other, you would change your vote. So you get Cousin John's name down as his proxy. Or a lot of people put the Australian Shareholders Association as their proxy because they really don't want to read those volume, voluminous reports. And it is just easier to have a group that is engaging with the company, speaking to directors, to go through all the technical details and put their votes in for you. So quite a lot of people do give us give us their vote, tens of thousands and And, pre- and presumably there's greater weight in numbers as well. Yes, it, it very much focuses the mind. It means that rather than our representative representing themselves, they are representing, say, a couple of thousand or a couple of hundred shareholders, depending on the, which company and mm. the size of it. So we've just completed our first season of the AGM Watch podcast, where we've been talking to company monitors from the ASA, and I've interviewed them and uh, spoken about the great experience that they've got and the kind of detail of analysis that they give as well. Actually, just coming to mind was uh, the JB Hi-Fi one. It was great to hear about the corporate culture. And when you think about why the people that work at JB Hi-Fi stores seem to be such um, unique individuals. (laughs) I think that sort of company really... um brings out how important it is to look beyond the code. Yeah. Who would think that yellow yellow posters with black print would be so engaging and effective year after year? Yeah. Uh, having that culture, their remuneration is a little bit special, but because of the culture, they have been able to go through without strikes. Yep, and then, and then again, the other um, the other one as well is uh, Screw Turner. Is it Screw Turner from Flight, Flight Center? Center? It's interesting to hear about their their particular culture, and uh, it seems to be a very flat management structure and a flat pay structure and a flat as pa- well pay, to pay sort of yeah. back 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 that mm-hmm. to actually look at how how it impacts people and really make people feel included and important so that they bring their best self to work, which is what. What the schemes are supposed to be set up to do. Yeah. And um, Macquarie is another one that is interesting because they work on a profit share rather than a multiple of the fixed remuneration. Now they might end up with tens of millions of dollars each year, but their actual fixed pay is about seven hundred or nine hundred thousand dollars, which I mean it's a lot a lot of money, but some of the banks it's you know one point five two million 
is the fixed pay and they do a share of the profits. So the executives only get it if the company is achieving their goals, their financial goals. So anyway, the, the point of this is I'd recommend people have a listen to the AGM Watch podcast because there's some great overviews of some of the companies. We've covered about 11 or 12 companies and really goes to show the kind of work that the monitors do and the level of expertise that they bring to studying these uh, companies. And I think they really enjoyed it as well. <laughs> yeah, I found it interesting what what different people were thinking about when they went to the AGM. The thing about an AGM, it's such a, you know, it's an hour or so. And so when you have a proper physical meeting, one of the things you get to do, if the meeting is all very um, procedural, everyone's happy, you get to meet with the directors and the executives afterwards and talk about the company and the atmosphere and what they're hoping for, for their staff, their people, their customers. That sort of thing is what drives our volunteers to actually monitor, to sort of have that understanding. And it's also an element of trust because, you know, if you're giving someone your hard-earned capital, because that's what, when you buy a share, even though you're buying somebody else's share, it's the company capital, you need to be able to trust those people in charge are doing the right thing with it, that they're going to help you build your wealth for a hell of a long time. Um, and being involved in the AGM and getting to know the people and the personalities of the company is a really important part of that. And different things will be in focus at different times. Mm. So we recommend people have a listen to the AGM podcast, the yeah, AGM Watch podcast. Yeah, highly recommend people listen to the AGM Watch podcast. And also, where can they find out more work about the company monitoring and advocacy that uh, the association undertakes? That That's on our um, website, australiansshareholders.com.au. And there's a menu item, uh, advocacy and monitoring. And under that is all about the advocacy work, the submissions and the different companies we monitor and the reports before the meeting. So we do uh, voting intentions. So Yeah, that's the thing to look for is voting yeah, intentions voting and there's intentions. a detail about what's... Yeah, if you're a member, you can go in there and look at that and it'll be like, well, we're voting against this particular item because of these particular reasons. And then we also do a wrap-up after the meeting just to tell people what happened. Fiona, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Bill. Always great to talk with you. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.